And I think sometimes when we're in those situations of, oh, I'm having a conversation with a difficult one about climate change, I want to run away because I'm good. Um, there's a little ticker going on in your head going, did I win? Did I win? Um, like, how do I say the stuff that wins? Um, and it's like, get rid of the ticker. Like, just have a sodding conversation. Welcome to Sustainababble 186. Welcome yourself all to Sustainababble 186, my splendidly kind, beautiful, compassionate friend. I love hearing Golly. you talk. Tell me something interesting <laughs> about yourself, Ol. <laughs> well, have you got 45 minutes? Then I'll begin. No, listener, this is not an episode about me. Uh, well, I mean, it's a bit about me. It's my podcast and I'm indulging myself. But it is mainly about you and about how you can talk to other people about climate change and get it right. And, well, we don't really know the answer to that. We don't know how to get it right. So we decided to talk to somebody whose job it is to get it right. And, um, yes. well, we did. Who was that, Dave? Uh, we talked to a wonderful person, friend of ours, called Robin Webster. What has a large brain and uh, equally nice personality, which is rare. Um, and we talked to... <laughs> you clever her. people are usually dicks, is that what you yeah, <laughs> Exactly, yes. Um, and we talked to her down the line, um, and she, basically, she is from uh, an organisation called Climate Outreach. What do expertise and advice in how to have conversations with people about climate change that doesn't end with the pair of you sticking forks into each other's arms and hating each other so actually having useful chats um and it's really really good we learned an awful lot i think we talked about like how to have conversations in general that work but with this thing climate change where it's so easy to think that there are people who get it and people don't get it is that true and if it's not true we asked her well how do we prior our way into that then very good well just the usual disclaimer uh for me and i suppose for robin i do work for an environment charity uh so if you've got any problems with anything that i say or that dave says or that robin says don't take it up with the people for whom i work or the people for whom uh, robin works for that matter just take it up directly with us and um we'll put it in the file marked b1n uh, but yeah, just don't don't have a go at the people I work for, okay? Just just don't. Just don't. So we recorded this uh, about a month before you hear it. So apologies if anything has become out of date. I mean, God, I hope it hasn't because we were quite upbeat. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know why we were upbeat. I mean, given <laughs> context and everything, but but we were upbeat. We were in it. We, we were, were in a upbeat. happy place, and long may that continue. So uh, Robin joins us down the line from. Totnes, which uh, we're sorry about this if you live in Totnes, but uh, we had, we couldn't help ourselves. <laughs> For millions of years, mankind lived just like the animals. Then something happened which unleashed the power of our imagination. You're in Totnes, but you don't appear to have 
you know, tie-dye wallpaper or the aura of crystals uh, or Mystic Meg around you. So you can't be that in Totnes. Not very Totnessy. You might forget about the fact that my computer's only facing in a very one direction and there's a lot around me that you can't see. <laughs> All the crystals are piled up on either side. You can see the coils of incense <laughs> yeah. around the back of your head. How do we talk about climate change? Because... There isn't like a right way and wrong way to do it, is there, or or is there? Like, what works? How do, do we? How do we? Do how do we talk we... about climate change? Come on! Do you, do you not think we should have got Robin on 186 episodes ago? Because I think yes, but you know, I never do things when I'm supposed to do them. So better late than never. Do you want like a one-line answer? Like this is how we do it. Uh, yes. Well, you can't have yes, one. Please. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I think. There are, is no one-line answer, but there are some basic principles and ideas that are really important, which are to do with basically talking to people where they're at, like understanding people's value systems, uh, listening to where they are, sometimes like focusing on the connection between two people if you're having a conversation, rather than focusing on kind of winning some kind of fact war about sea level rise. Um, uh, <laughs> part of what kind of got me into all this in the first place, I think, is like, Back in the day, I was a climate change campaigner in an NGO that we all know well. Um, and there are all those words, you know, sustainability and trajectories and parts per million and all that stuff. And I oh, spent a lot of time writing yeah. all that stuff down. And I was. I they're, spent... the, they're the words we claxon now. <laughs> good. It's, it's, it's just very, li- very liberating. <laughs> Can should... I just I'll give you one big claxon for all of that? All right. Get it out of the claxon way. a lot. So I wrote a lot of those words down in reports and stuff and then thought, this is really mad. Like, it doesn't speak to normal human beings. We're trying to talk about some kind of profound change to our society using all these weird, bizarre words that don't don't mean anything to anybody. So that's, I think, part of what's got me into doing what I'm doing quite a lot. But that's right, isn't it? And it's it's so obvious when you say it like that. Um, but we've all done it. I know certainly I have. All three of us have banged on in that kind of language Mm. about climate change in this kind of stroppy way, expecting people to give a shit. And I don't think anyone, with the exception of, let's face it, the likes of us, gives a shit about emissions reductions curves and trajectories and all of that kind of stuff. So how is it that that is what so much of the conversation is? How's that happened? Well, I mean, I think it was a bit of a historical artefact, really, in the sense that, I mean, the knowledge that we have about climate change, and of course, there's been quite a lot of people going, by the way, the way that the COVID debate has uh, evolved has been similar in our way in that it's come from a scientific and technical base. And I think there's also been a strategic decision that was made uh, in that the idea is if you have a conversation with elites using elite language, that's going to be a way of kind of shifting policy and ultimately moving people's um, moving people's lives. And I certainly remember as a climate change campaigner having somebody say that to me quite early on, like, this is what we're trying to do and thinking. Oh, wow. Sh- so that was, an, that was an actual explicit direction. Like, we need to speak the language of government type thing. Yeah. And that, like, essentially, we are trying to ultimately what we're trying to do is move those elites um, to, to make them make different decisions. And I think, I mean, that doesn't seem to me that controversial. It seems kind of embedded in the way that the conversation has gone. In all the different sectors. But alongside that, there will be some residual sources of emissions that are very difficult or impossible to abate. And this will require some amount of greenhouse gas removals. But then what that has kind of meant is that 
you know, all those cam- climate change campaigners win battles or win moments. But then if you haven't actually got a conversation going uh, going on within society, like there isn't a, essentially social consent for major change, then governments never get to the point where they're prepared to introduce it. And there's a sort of sense of society's looking at government and government's looking at society and you've got in some kind of weird standoff and you're all staring at each other waiting for somebody else to do something. Um, and that social change doesn't happen like that. Well, the party have had an opinion poll done. It seems all the voters are in favour of bringing back national service. Well, I have another opinion poll done showing the voters are against bringing back national service. <laughs> so the opinion polls, right? Yeah. They all say that everyone in... Well, not everyone, but a large proportion of people in the UK want the government to be doing more on climate change. Not just what they're doing at the moment is enough, but they want them to be doing more, that they support all of the major policies that, you know, people like Dave and you and me and others have said for years need to happen. Um, and so, you know, job's done, right, isn't it? If, they, if that's how social change works, people supporting things, people advocating for things, then it's all tickety-boo. We can just sound off about it on podcasts and go home everything is clearly fine yes i've noticed that um, <laughs> <laughs> um uh, re- listener everything is not fine <laughs> i mean it, it is really interesting and i i think like everybody in our sector and i'm sure you must have podcasts from a year ago talking about this i was kind of compelled and stunned i think when the protest movements of a year ago really i think brought to the fore the genuine concern that there is across society and you know we've still got polls now which are saying it's usually sort of about 60 percent of people in this country agreeing there's a climate emergency agreeing the government should take radical action and i do think like lefty progressive have a slight tendency to get terribly gloomy sometimes and kind of think we're the only ones that, that care about this and actually looking at no. that <laughs> no, everybody else doesn't care it's i don't just know us. anyone who's gloomy <laughs> um but I think what we can see is that there is real there is a real concern across society, like and it does cross a breadth of kind of different attitudes and social backgrounds. But the people sort of well, there's a lot of things in it. I mean, I, there is the idea of a the sort of climate silence, which was something um, an idea that we've been playing with quite a while, which is almost that we've had this mandated agreement across society that talking about climate change isn't that polite. So if you're sort of sitting at a dinner party, you know, and you kind of say, um, start start talking about your holidays or climate change in some other way, and then there's a little silence and someone says, oh, lovely spinach tart, you know, and then everybody starts talking about spinach tart for 10 minutes. Then we actually created a socially mandated agreement that we shouldn't talk about this overwhelming, scary thing. But if you ask people if they're worried, they say, yes, they're worried. But if you ask people what they're worried about, they're, less li- they're not that likely to say environmental issues and climate change. That's a slightly old argument now because it's been it changed last year. And actually, we started to see, I think, more conversation across society and more people willing to say spontaneously, I'm really worried about the environment. Um, so I feel like that change has started to happen, but you need people to be able to express that that concern and also to feel the sense that there's something they can do about it and that the people that they care about are doing something about it. So all of these things have to happen together in order for us to be not in a lot of trouble. So that, that means then that it's you can't just point to an opinion poll, right? You can't just say, look, when asked, are you concerned about the end of the planet? 
60% of people say, yes, I'm concerned about the end of the planet. I mean, what, um, what do the other 40% think? <laughs> no, like, imagine getting asked that question and you go, uh, no. When's it happening? Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, as long as it's Tuesday, because I got busy down Monday. But yeah. Because we keep hearing that 2014 has been the warmest year on record. I asked the chair, you know what this is? It's a snowball. And that just from outside here. So it's so easy, isn't it? I'm going to ask you a stupid question and then I'm going to take five oh, minutes here we go. to explain what I mean. So what do different people think about climate change? And even just asking that question, it's like, what a ridiculous kind of thing to say. Like, because there's such a caricature in my head of like, Trendy people who live, for example, in Totnes, um, think it's the most important thing in the world. Or like, have you been you... to Totnes? Because I'm not sure. I mean, Robin, correct me if I'm wrong. And obviously, present company accepted. But is it known for being trendy? Uh, there's perhaps a sort of certain no. <laughs> Thank you. Whereas, yeah, all right, fair enough. Whereas, you know, you vote, you vote UKIP and you think climate change is all made up and everyone else is just a bit mad. But, like, do we understand in any more granularity than that what people, what different types of people actually think? How can we make sense of it? Yeah, I mean, we're. We're in the middle. We've just we've done some research on this that isn't let yes yet launched that we've been doing with more in common. So I can sort of bring in a few little bits of that. But I think there's a lot to learn anyway from what we know. I think the word polarized is used a lot. You know that our society is polarized, and it does tend to give that impression, doesn't it? It's like oh, the people over there that all care about climate change having a big fight with the people over there that think it doesn't matter, and then you've got a sort of bit in the middle wandering around going, we don't really mind. Um, and I think it's actually quite damaging to see the world like that partly because the more you concentrate on the idea of polarization the more the more it happens um but also that actually the complexity of our society doesn't really exist like that and the work that we've done has looked at people's different attitudes to issues like authoritarianism to their moral foundations and kind of thought about the different segments of society and backgrounds that that we have and that doesn't show it shows pretty high levels of concern about climate change across quite a wealth of different backgrounds and audiences in this in this country but in some many ways it's expressed differently so some people will be much more concerned for example about their local environment or have different attitudes to conversations about internationalism and there and that's why quite a lot of what we talk about is talking about people's values and finding common values that mean something to all of this so the concepts of waste and fairness for example tend to be quite unifying values that that matter to lots of people across across society sort of irrespective of political and kind of cultural background um and a lot of i think it's finding the right words and sometimes not accidentally using the wrong words that really put people put people off so you know this concept of like the green revolution um sounds kind of great to people of a more lefty perspective they're like yay revolution great but actually <laughs> if you're not, people, not everyone likes that. Yeah, exactly. Not everybody <laughs> likes revolutions. If people who come from a more conservative, centre-right well, perspective... first up against the wall, not Yeah. Maybe a lot more likely to be compelled by language, for example, about landscape, heritage, continuity, avoiding waste. It doesn't mean to say people from that political perspective don't care about climate change. Is that the actual language that's being used is quite off-putting. Um, and there's some interesting stuff about... Um, kind of social norms that if you exist within a social norm in your kind of little audience your own bubble of people where you internally feel a bit concerned about climate change but that if you were to sort of go to a barbecue with your mates obviously socially distanced and started talking about climate change 
they you might be a little bit embarrassing and you would might feel that like that was a little bit weird of you then you're less likely to express that concern you're less likely to have that conversation and ultimately you're less likely to do something about it to identify yourself as someone who does something about it and ultimately that might express that might change how much concern you're actually feeling within yourself so but i think it's sort of patronizing to think that only a tiny it is patronizing to think that only a tiny segment of our society is concerned about what is clearly happening all around us because it's becoming so obvious and i feel like that concern is much more strongly embedded in our society than perhaps it was a decade ago because we're seeing it happen more So what about the, not just the words that are being used, but the people who are using them, the we, the people who are using these words to communicate to all of those different sections of society? Because, I mean, the we on this podcast is, you know, people like us, white middle class people who... Literally us. Well, yes, I suppose it is literally, it's not not (laughs) only people like us, but... Us. Us <laughs> on this podcast are using words. We Excellent. are using words, uh, yes. Devastating insights, <laughs> as ever. Um, yeah, so, but it's, you know, it's a subsection of society that bangs on about climate change broadly, right? So are, are we the problem as much as we're getting ro- the words wrong? Are we and the baddies? Are we the baddies? And, and is, I suppose, is communication then not as much about us communicating with them and more about us listening to them, whoever them is. You just made me think of a Mitchell and Webb sketch where they're going, oh, we're yes. the baddies. Have you noticed that our caps have actually got little pictures of skulls on them? <laughs> I don't, so... Hands. Are we the baddies? I think it's a really interesting question. I mean, the way you framed it was quite... Attacky. Um, I mean, in attacky. In fifty, oh, no. in fifty use technical terms. What do you mean? In fifteen years. What do you mean by attacky? <laughs> you guys are the baddies. You guys are the goodies. Very uh, environmentalist oh, thinking. Um, <laughs> in like fifteen years of like climate outreach research and the work that we've engaged with, you are quite often kind of encountered sometimes quite a visceral dislike of environmentalists. Um, yeah, and, I have that as yeah. well, and I am one. <laughs> Me too, sometimes. Um, and a phrase that was in a report that really stuck on my mind was the epitome of wealthy and or moralising people. Um, and sometimes, you know, when we did some some focus groups looking at people's response to visual um, visual communication of climate change, there was one kind of picture of a, of a, of a young man who was sort of painted all blue face in a, in a protest. And I, and I was sat in that focus group and I can remember some of the kind of responses of people. Like, oh, he's probably just gone to Glastonbury, you know, he's just arsing around. And you can see there's there's a, a tribalistic sense sometimes. And uh, Climate Outreach has done work, for example, with oil workers in Alberta. And if you've got family, friends of family who are working in the oil industry, you know, there's can be a sort of deep, deep sense of like us and them. These are the guys having having a go at us. So no way are they gonna listen to what an environmentalist who identifies in that way is gonna is gonna say. But they might well have a really in-depth and profound conversation, people about the future of their community, about its resilience, about how they how they identify themselves. So this comes back to this phrase that's quite often used, trusted messenger, like messengers from within communities speaking to the audiences that are like them, whose whose values 
people tend to trust spokespeople who they say, we trust that person's values. We know they understand us. We know that they've got some authority. And some people might look to environmentalists and see that, but many people won't. So it's quite easy to forget that, I think, and just think if we use some slightly different language, everything will be fine. But actually, the reality of it is about sometimes providing the empowerment and support to people from within communities who can speak to people who are empowered and hear them as, as authorities rather than trying to talk a little bit louder. Such an important point, isn't it? Because we often, you can spend quite a long time. So I've, you know, I've done comsy stuff in charities. We've all sort of done bits of that. And you can yeah. spend ages thinking about the right words to use in your greeny charity campaigny think tank. <laughs> press releases uh but it's every bit as important to think about who are you actually talking to and are they going to give a shit what you say whether or not you say it badly or well right um so what are the limits of language and how much of it is actually about broader stuff like authenticity and not appearing to be hectoring and building the power of well, tr- passing the mic, that's a phrase that's used, right? Instead yeah, of that's a nice phrase. That stuff, yeah. Give, giving yeah. the microphone to other people. Yeah. Um, what's the balance? Uh, I'm not sure I know what the balance is. I mean, I think that both those things matter. As people, we listen to stories told by people that we are we're compelled by those stories and we also listen very profoundly to who, who the spokesperson is. And you, to sort of like... Pulling those two things apart is quite a it's quite a difficult thing to do. I think one thing that's really struck me from the work that we've done on how to have good conversations about climate change in your daily life is the sort of power of telling your own story. And I think sometimes that's really mm. helpful in this concept, in this idea, because people get really stuck with thinking, you know, well, if I can't talk about like sea level rise in 2050, I can't really have this conversation because I'm not, mm. I don't know enough to do it. Um, but if what if what if your own story is like really tedious like what what if your own story is literally i i got quite worried about climate change and like studied it a bit and then went to work for an organization that worked on it so that's my story of self um i can see you're all moved to tears now um who's with me i think you're not reaching into your heart um i've I've done i mean i've done this uh workshops you get you do like it's a cool exercise um you get like uh one person and you ask them like basically those questions for like for about four minutes so you ask them uh when did you first get concerned about climate change um uh what do you do about climate change now how do you feel about that um and the person asking the questions has the most difficult job for any activist in the world they have to shut up um and just listen and <laughs> what? Like, i know it's people like struggle deeply with this exercise but Basically, and then you kind of swap over. So everybody, both you know, both people in your pair have a go at it. And you get some really profound stuff. Like in four minutes, people come out with just amazing stories about their lives and why this, why they were started worrying about it and this kind of profound truths about how they feel about it now. Like it's, it's a good use of 10 minutes. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't think your story's boring. Probably not anyway. I do. It's semi-autobiographical. And it's completely, utterly awful. We talked, it's making me think of that chat we had a few episodes ago with that Roman Krisnarich about empathy and about um, time as well. And he was mostly talking kind of about, like, you can do things to your brain, 
brackets, it helps if you have drugs, close brackets, um, which uh, takes your brain kind of out of thinking about its narrow, squabbly little day-to-day stuff and puts it into the mind of, in his case, he was talking about, you know, your, your 90-year-old grandson yeah, nice. or something. Yeah, you know, yeah. When the future generations. Really nice. And how much of, of what we need to do on climate change is about empathy? Is that a word that you use and recognise? Does it mean anything? Uh, I had it explained to me. It sounds good. Yeah, it's good stuff. But, well, I've been thinking quite a lot about compassion, which I think is similar but different. Um, uh, like I did some work recently on communication of climate change during a time of COVID-19 and as a part of that kind of dug into the social science uh, yeah just fortuitous uh dug into the social science around um uh sort of how people respond to moments of crisis and you might have heard this now because i've heard this conversation a few times in different locations but essentially what we've seen is that in moments of crisis people we think that people like society will collapse and everybody will start fighting each other actually what tends to happen is these communal values like empathy compassion collaboration independence like suddenly come like immediately to the fore and suddenly everybody's helping each other with food baskets and all the rest of it. And that was, I talked to an academic at that time and she said exactly what what I expected would happen, would to happen, is happening. Like we see it happening in front of our eyes at the moment. And those communal values are also very strongly associated with people taking action on climate change if you look at the evidence base. Um, And much more sort of, for example, more associated than, than their level of income or other stuff that you might think might be the reason and for me that was like a really it's kind of profound moment thinking about that because I thought actually you do this crisis brings to the fore that everybody has those communal values also the evidence shows that people tend to think that they've got them but everybody else hasn't so like I'm a nice values perception gap that thing exactly I'm can I have a uh, klaxon can I have a klaxon yeah, um, I'm a lovely person, but nobody else is. Um, oh, it turns out everybody's a lovely person. And then I think that has got to be, it's really cool to take action on climate change. And actually in a moment of another narrative going on, which also tends to arise in moments of pandemics, we've also seen evidence of increased division, authoritarianism, um, uh, the sort of scary stuff rising up, nationalism. So you almost got these like two threads of conversation going on in society. That's a little bit how it feels to me sometimes. And it feels to me incredibly important that climate change campaigners talk very powerfully to those communal values and remind us that it's really important for us to work together. But in the field, what? Part of a team. Teamwork. Teamwork. And you sort of see the opposite of that, don't you? Like, uh, what that's, I think that can be very frustrating about, about the green movement, about climate change campaigners, is that you do still hear people saying, if only people were less selfish, if only people were, you know, if only people cared more about the planet, about each other, about other people on the front line. About, and it's yeah, like, yeah. That, uh, no, that's wrong. Like, we, it is, we are compassionate people and we need to emphasize mm. that compassion, right? And it's, I guess, similarly why the, the early coverage of the pandemic was so frustrating because the media was like, hmm, on the one hand, all these mutual aid groups springing up and everyone helping out each other. On the other hand, some people buying bog roll that is quite good telly we'll we'll go focus on rolls. that yeah yeah let's go yeah. for the bog rolls and so i guess the question then is like what what role the sort of uh what role can we be doing as, as communicators to to counter that media narrative mm. and to be honest that commercial and, and political narrative of no you are all selfish individuals yeah. like i don't want to help i've been thinking recently that we have to believe it ourselves and actually thinking about 
climate policy as a whole and that many of the narratives around climate policy, for example, around carbon pricing or around this kind of stuff of like, well, you should insulate your house because then you'll save money or have an electric car because it will look shiny and all that kind of stuff. A lot of embedded in a lot of that stuff is a is a belief that people need to be need to be paid, need to be bribed to to do something on climate change. So there's that kind of negative view about climate change of about people is is embedded in there. And I think we've been rather terrified as climate change campaigners of saying the other side of it, of saying this is something that really matters and speaking powerfully and with grief and emotional connection and authenticity about what it what it means to us and about what we can do as a society and that we can act together as a society um and it's like that was a bit kind of mm, a bit totness wasn't it a bit kind of lovey-dovey yeah. talking talking like right. that we'll allow, yeah. we'll allow you a bit totness you know you got a quote here obviously but you haven't used it up yet So we, about ooh, 10 episodes ago now, we made the silly mistake of asking our listeners to ask us questions about anything. And one of the questions that we got was from Kaylee. And Kaylee asked us a question, and we had a go at answering it, but I don't feel like I answered it in a particularly sophisticated way. And Kaylee's question was, when you encounter someone who simply doesn't care about the environment or the effect of what they do on other people, how do you talk to them? How can we encourage people who don't care to care? Mm. And I think my response to it was basically, I don't bother. And Oz's response was, I try to make them like me, if I recall correctly. Um, That's right. I, so, des- I desperately, desperately <laughs> seek their, their affection. Um, uh, so what, what's your response to that? Because so many people who listen to this podcast will struggle with that. They might have like family members or friends who just don't give a shit and they want to know how to get them to give mm. a shit. So how do you make someone give a shit who a shit will not give? Well... We did some we did some work last year on how to have good constructive day to day conversations about climate change and basically uh, sort of created a did a lot of research and dug into kind of conversations that are a bit conflicty in other areas like about people talking about coming out or about their faith um, or about politics like how do you have difficult conversations and kind of brought that evidence together and then sent people out in the world with a bit of advice um, and said have conversations about climate change um, and then come back and tell us what worked and what didn't and we wrote like a handbook on the back of it Um, and one of the core things that came out of that is I think if I had to say it in one sentence I would say focus on connection Uh, like if you're having a conversation with somebody chances are you've got some kind of you know if they're your uncle roger perhaps you both really are fond of your niece i don't know what it is um and focusing on connection focusing focusing on listening to them and respecting to them and actually having a genuine exchange and i think sometimes when we're in those situations of oh i'm having a conversation with a difficult one about climate change i want to run away because i'm good um there's a little ticker going on in your head going did i win did i win um like how do i say <laughs> the stuff that wins um and it's like get rid of the ticker like just have a sort of conversation um and like listen to them i think the stuff about telling your story is a really powerful part of that because there's this is kind of like non-violent communication principles people can't you can't negate your experience you can say I started caring about climate change because this X thing happened to me. And now I'm doing this and this is how I feel about it. And someone can't say to you, no, you didn't. Because it's like, well, I did, actually. Um, (laughs) And if you then ask them to tell their story, 
then you're, you know, sort of starting to sort of dig into your, your common experiences, humans, basically. But I, I had a conversation um, where I sort of tried some of this out about a year ago at a protest where someone started the conversation by walking up to me and saying, I completely disagree with what you're doing. Um, by the end of it, he said, I still completely disagree with what you're doing, but I think you're a nice person. And I was like, OK, I'm chalking that up as a win. Um, so perhaps, <laughs> perhaps that is a little bit more like what Ollie was saying, not in a kind of desperately needy, love me, love me way, but like yeah. in a in a way that like must, must uh, get over that. good conversations are are about a genuine exchange about within between two individuals where you're like expressing mutual respect for each other. You're listening to each other and bit by bit, like by telling your own story and asking them questions about what it is that they care about, you may well find that kernel of the thing that they care about, you know, that they don't want to tell you that climate change is a, is a thing, but actually they love fishing and they're starting to see some changes and that's worrying them. And that suddenly might come out of the conversation. And I think, and like, yeah. and like you might learn something as well, right? I mean, that's exactly. the other thing. It's, it's, yeah. it's not just like, I will, very few, if, you, if this is how people have conversations are probably doing it wrong in general right because you don't go into a conversation just to impart what <laughs> i think to someone you're generally trying to learn something right yeah um and and you might learn stuff about like fishing and why a person likes fishing and you may have thought fishing is awful and then you might go you know what maybe it's less awful and then you yeah. both learn something yeah and a then very you can, a very wise yeah. person uh was running a workshop i was in once and like preempting what everyone knew was going to happen, which was that the same people who always bang on were about to bang on. <laughs> and she said, just remember that you already know what you think. So take the opportunity to find out what some other people think. Mm. And that really struck, <laughs> stuck with me. I was like, I think I do go into quite a lot of conversations desperate to tell people what I think. Yeah. And that's not very interesting, apart from being rude and like counterproductive. It's just, dull isn't it like what's the point in going through life only listening to yourself talk about what you already think yeah my main message is activists stop saying stuff so go on then this is the uh dollars oh, doesn't sound like very much anymore does it this is the two trillion pound <laughs> question uh which i suspect quite a lot of our listeners will will kind of have uh, what are, let's say three, what are the three tips that uh, you should give our listeners for having better conversations about climate change? Uh, focus on respect and connection above all else. So connect with the person you're speaking to. Um, tell your story um from your own personal using the word i is quite a nice way of quite a nice way of doing it um and i think keep going like treat it as an experiment find a find a community that you're a part of um and be a part and, and like when it's weird and scary then just go oh, well that was a weird and scary conversation never mind like it's all like a series of tiny little experiments and i've just thought of a really important fourth one how's that for I mean, that's that's every climate campaign dream, isn't it? Like, here's, here's our top three slash 17 demands. Is it smash capitalism? 
<laughs> no, that's, that's the thing. Um, <laughs> it's a very, very teeny version of smash capitalism. Uh, when we did the experiment last year, we found that people who were doing something found it easier to talk about it. Um, so even if it's like, and there's this weird thing of like, oh, it just feels so insignificant if I'm like, taking the kids to school on bicycles as opposed to driving them or whatever but actually one of the interesting things about that is that people who were uh doing that were able to talk about that as opposed to talk about the overwhelming scariness of it and then you start feeling that maybe you're like you're somebody that does something and you're like in a gang of people that does something and it just makes life that bit easier and also maybe really profound and important for the person you're talking to because they start thinking oh you can do stuff interesting um you can take this action that i hadn't thought of before um so that's my fourth it doesn't have to be like this all we need to do is make sure we keep talking So that is just about it for another episode of The Babble. And that is just about it for this sort of chunk, splurge. Mm. Chunk. Other other podcasts have seasons. We have chunks. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Our second second longest chunk, Al, since we started this thing. We've been 16 16 episode chunk this. 17 episode chunk. Golly gosh. Well, that is a chunky chunk, if ever I heard one. Yeah. no, uh, what, what's the phrase that people use for shrinkflation? No shrinkflation with your babble here. Quite oh, the opposite. The opposite. Um, yeah, so we're, we're going to have a little break now. What with it being summer and instead of sitting in our homes and babbling, we're going to sit in our homes and not babble because that's all you're allowed to do. Uh, but we're going to have a little break and we will be back, we promise, uh, in the autumn. Yes, uh, so thank you very much to Robin. Thank you to Ol for babbling. Thank me as well for being me. Uh, thank you to the wonderful Dickie Moore for the music that starts, ends, intertwinkles this podcast. To the legendary Arthur Stovall for the logo What Adorns both our website and also our t-shirts. You can get a t-shirt with a logo on it like plenty of people do and you can join them. That's at our website at wubblywubblywubbly.sustainababble.fish and thank you to Arabella who has not read our eco guff in this episode but she's done it throughout this chunk and we have not always remembered to thank her for it which is very remiss thank you arabella slapped wrist for us if you would like to get in touch and tell us uh what tell us anything you like really things that you've liked things that you haven't liked things that you would like us to cover off when we come back in the autumn you can do so by tweeting us at the babble wagon you can just search facebook for sustainable or you can email us at hello at sustainable.fish Yes, right, good. Oh, and you can dole us a bit of dosh as well. We are so grateful to everyone who has, particularly in these times. It's been really, really appreciated. The price of a pint helps to keep this show on the road. And if you've enjoyed this chunk and the previous chunks and you've gone back and listened to all of this chunk and all of the previous chunks and you still want more, then you can go to wubblywubblywubbly.patreon.com slash sustainababble and you can bung us a quid or two and we would love you for it. Thank you. Stop looking out the window. Oh. I mean, no, it helps me focus because otherwise I just look at you and think, oh, you've had your hair cut. Whereas if I'm looking out the window and looking at the butterflies, I'm listening to what you're saying. Mostly. Good. Are we done? Yes. Bye. Splendid news. <laughs> <laughs>